Hi, and welcome back to Entrepreneurs Talk Africa, a podcast for African entrepreneurs. I'm Jason Delory, entrepreneur, innovation strategist, mentor, and podcaster. And today, we have our first episode in our new investor readiness series. So for the next 10 episodes, we will hear from entrepreneurs, investors, and ecosystem support organizations about what it really takes to be investor ready. And today, we're starting off with our bang. Our guest is a successful entrepreneur who has been there, done that. He's got the t-shirt. In fact, uh, several t-shirts. Uh, it's our absolute pleasure and honor to have Ismail Belkayat on the show. To give more of an understanding of why we're so excited to have Ismail on the show, I wanted to highlight some of his accomplishments on this amazing journey he's on. Ismail was born in and raised in Morocco. He later graduated from Cornell University and started his career as a strategist uh, consultant for BCG in Paris. He then went on to start his first entrepreneurial venture uh, with his first company, Venture Builder Wib, uh, out of which many successful ventures came, and then moved on to Centauri, a leading property portal in Morocco uh, with a partner, uh, Property Finder, then Voto Chauffeur, uh, another leading transport company in Morocco, partnering and powered by Avis, car rentals. And now his latest venture, Chari, an e-com and fintech app for retailers in French-speaking Africa. Uh, Chari was actually the first North African startup to join the prestigious Y Combinator. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, Chari is currently raising or has just uh, closed their Series A round of 10 million USD. Um, I would like to personally welcome Ismail to the show. It's so great to have you with us and what a journey so far. Uh, I know it, it's a short intro, but is there anything you you'd think I've missed or you'd like to add? Hey, Jason, it's a real pleasure to to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, and thanks for the summary and the introduction. Uh, everything was right. Maybe just one thing to, to precise. Uh, Sherry was not the first uh, North African startup to get into YC. Ah. For us, we had this amazing company called uh, Yasir uh, out of Algeria that is doing a great job. And that was, I believe, the first uh, company to get into, into YC probably two or three batches before us. Great. Uh, uh, thanks for that. I, I think I might have to update the wiki page there. Uh, but uh, yeah, good to know. And, you know, still such a prestigious uh, accomplishment. Great. Um, well, as mentioned, uh, today, this series is focusing on investor readiness. Um, so that's really what we're going to focus on in terms of, of getting, picking your brains and finding out, you know, what it takes from, from someone who's actually done it. So maybe to start off, uh, I wanted to, to get your mindset and, and how you approach the thinking behind uh, investor readiness. So how have you approached it uh, in the past or, or how do you approach it now? Um, listen, the approach uh, ha had changed uh, over time. In my, in my very case, I did raise a, a seed round in 2021. And then, as you said, the Series A in 2023. And I have to admit that investor readiness has completely changed in the last uh, two years. When back at that time, uh, at least in 2021, uh, the VCs were, uh, and investors in general, were looking for fast growing companies, sometimes at, at all costs. Uh, today, they are more looking into uh, unit economics and sustainable long-term uh, profitable companies, right? So again, back in 2021, what was important was to show that we were able to grow fast, that we were able to acquire market share, that we were founders uh, able to 
be nimble and agile and uh, move as fast as possible. But then in 2023, things again are more focusing on how to build the real paths to profitability, how to make sure that as founders, we are concerned by not only the top line, but also the, the bottom line. So again, your question has uh, two answers, one answer of 2021 and another answer for 2023. Uh, yeah, I think that's actually a really interesting, um, you know, uh, categorization and, and seeing how the, the ecosystem is changing and seeing how uh, companies have to adapt to that. Um, similarly, in, in that kind of line of thinking, uh, you mentioned having done the seed and, and the Series A. Uh, do you think there's any large distinctions or, or key differences between the two stages of, of being investor ready for both those stages? And, and what would do you think those would be? Of course, definitely. Even if we take the hypothesis that the micro environment hadn't changed, which is not the case because it has massively changed, there is still a big difference between being investor ready in, in seed and being investor ready in Series A. And let me explain. Again, when you raise your pre-seed and seeds, um, what the, 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 the VCs are looking for is before everything, a great founder, right? Because at the end of the day, what they invest in is in someone they trust could be a great entrepreneur. So, Again, there are rules you have to provide them with with a deck uh, that again has its own rules with the market sizing, with the 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 the, the problem you are trying to solve, uh, with the reasons why you are be the best founder to to to, to solve it. Uh, you know, with an MVP with a proof of concept, all of that is true. However, I believe that the decision of an investor in seed and pre-seed is mainly based on the trust uh, on the uh, entrepreneur himself. Uh, so uh, they can be sure that he's able to conduct, again, everything he says he's gonna do. That's for seeds. But then when you move to Series A, things becomes different. become different. It's not anymore the founder that counts. It's more obviously him and his team, but more importantly, the, the, the company itself. So that's, when the investors start looking into uh, what has been achieved so far, they start looking at your business plan. They start looking at your main metrics. They start looking at, you know, all these KPIs that are very important to them, including the cost of acquisition of a user, the lifetime value of the user, how you will be able to build a successful startup with their money. Right. And it's just a matter of projection. They see what has been done in the past. They see what the money they, that could be added, you know, to, to your uh, means could, could, could help you moving forward. And you move from a way of analyzing a startup that is more passionate and emotional in seed to a way of analyzing the startup that is much more rational. Uh, uh, in 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 Series A, yeah, I think uh, that's that's a great distinction. I, I love how you separate those two about the different focus areas. Not that, for example, not that you don't have good financials and stuff in in your seed, uh, um, you know, environment to show your investors, but they're focusing more on the, the individual and the capacity for that individual. Whereas when you're looking at Series A, this is much more focused on the 
the proof points that the business can show for the you know the the traction the growth and so on and and those financials become much more of a priority and i think you know for for investors uh, sorry uh, for entrepreneurs thinking about investment that's a really good point is knowing what stage and what the priority your investors are looking at uh, when they look at your companies and i think that's a really good thing you know at seed level the trust uh, factor is in the founder whereas at series a the trust factor moves uh, more to the company's financials and, and the proof uh, and i think that's that's some some really great advice um speaking about you know in terms of securing that investment what do you think in, in your experience um you know whether the three biggest factors to to the contribution of securing investment uh, and maybe we can split it into the two levels because there is such a distinction between seed and series a uh, but for, for for example you know you say at seed it's about the entrepreneur what did you do to show your investors that you were the right person that they could trust you to to take their money and do do what you say at that stage what did you put forward yeah so so listen just first when 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 you raise money in pre seed or seed you you normally don't even have financials to show because you are an early stage company, right? Uh, so it's more about the future than the past. When for Series A, it's the other way around. And by the way, when you raise in in seed, you usually raise using an instrument called SAFE, you know, Simple Agreement yeah. for Future Equity, which doesn't really give you a valuation. It gives only a, a cap or even a, a discount. Uh, which is a way to, again, uh, raise money without really having in mind what your company actually works. In Series A, it's the only, it's the, the, it's the, it's completely different. You need first to find a lead investor who's gonna do a due diligence on the company, who's gonna find a way to evaluate you using the right metrics. Then he has to provide uh, to build an investment memo that will be provided to the followers who will go through it to understand if the valuation method makes sense. And as you may hear, we are now moving into a much more uh, rational way of doing things. When again, in seed, it's only a cap and that doesn't mean any valuation. So based on that, seed round is, as we said, who is the founder and what is he capable to do? And the founder, I believe, again, when you are in the shoes of, of, uh, of an investor, what the investor wants to see is number one, how passionate is the founder? Are we talking with someone who would kill to keep working in this space because he really loves what he does? And this passion is something immaterial that you can define, but that you can feel. Right. When you speak with someone, you can say what what it means to see someone that is passionate. You just feel it because there is this energy that comes from him. Right. So I think that's number one. Number two is, is this person having a kind of uh, unfair advantage, a competitive advantage? Because maybe he has worked before in a startup that used to do that or he studied in this university in which he got trained about the, this space he is working on. Or again, he has a family business that is complementary with what, what he wants to do. That's also very important for investors. Though are these entrepreneurs, the people who will be more likely to succeed compared to others, right? 
And then I think that number three is also the track record of the, of the entrepreneur. Uh, that's why re, uh, repeat founders are much more likely to raise money than, you know, first time founders. So, uh, but, you know, exceptions exist. I'm not telling people who have never uh, and, uh, made any company that they won't be able to raise. I'm just saying that again, uh, and this is why I believe that everybody has to try because the more you try, the more likely you are to be able to succeed. So that's for seed. I think for seed, the three main criteria about, about a uh, founder are, are the three things I just said. No, for Series A, things are completely different. As I told you, you start looking into the business itself. You start looking into the financials. You start looking into how the money raised during the seed round has been used uh, to, to keep growing. Uh, you see the team, not only the, the, the founder, but the whole team. Uh, you see, again, the proof of concept that has been built. Uh, you look at the market sizing and see, again, the use of found of the Series A and how this could create value and so on and so on. So again, in Series A, I would say that there are much more criteria than in that, than for seed. Ah, I love that answer. And, and I think it's so true. And I also love uh, how you put that as uh, seed being the future and uh, Series A being a proof of the past. I, I really enjoy that. And I think it's so true for entrepreneurs out there thinking about this at seed level, you know, putting the your passion up front for, for them to feel and, and see how passionate you are taking your unfair advantage and making that a focus point as well as uh, any track record that you may have or industry expertise that you can push towards uh, showing them that you're the right person for the job. Uh, and like you say, you know, Series A becomes a different animal and, and much more complex uh, with a lot more areas to show. But really, in principle, you know, it's uh, proof points of the past showing how you've used your funds, um, the kind of team you have now, not just the individual side, but really going more depth and showing your proof. So it's basically proving that that you you can do what, what you're saying you can do, which is, uh, I think, uh, a really important point to know when you're looking at the, at the two different levels. Um, great. So now I'm um, looking at uh, the, the, the next uh, aspect that, that I really wanted to pick your brain on. You mentioned um, C uh, alarm being a YC alarm and your, your process there. And, and I know that uh, from previous conversations that you actually applied twice uh, for, for Y Combinator. Um, and uh, the first year uh, was unsuccessful, but afterwards in year two, uh, you were able and accepted into, into the program. I just wanted to see if you'd, you'd maybe share uh, for our listeners uh, what you did in that interim, what what made them change their mind? How did you approach that? And maybe this is you know a little thinking about if people are being rejected now, uh, what they can do with that feedback uh, moving forward. I, I can see that you've done your homework and prepared well this this podcast. Indeed, we 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 have applied twice before getting into YC, um, and uh, and when we the, when we applied the first time, right, we we got the interview and we were very happy about this interview and I remember how stressful it was. Uh, so the process is very simple. You you log in online, you fill up the form uh, to apply, then you try to get some uh, people backing you. You know, this YC has uh, this form allowing previous YC companies to, uh, you know, co-opt the, 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 the new uh, applicants. Um, and once you do that, you just pray. So they get back to you saying, Hey, you have been invited for, 
uh, by the way, and uh, 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 <clears throat> a meeting with them that lasts only 10 minutes, right? So wow. you prepare it for two, three weeks, and and at the end of the day, it, it's only ten minutes uh, that are important for them to make the the, the decision. Uh, again, I don't have the, the the figures, but I believe that you are more likely to be accepted after the second attempt than after the first one. Mainly because what these guys want to see is how you, as a founder you are again passionate and um i'll say a hard fighter against things they know that as an entrepreneur they will be you will be facing a lot of challenges that you will have to overcome a lot of problems and that you will be failing the first time and that you'll have again to try and try so seeing you Trying again and again after being rejected is a sign that you are these kind of entrepreneurs who don't take a no as granted, right? And uh, again, this is why I keep telling people who've uh, failed the first time to try again. There is no reason why, first, they have nothing to lose. And second, their odds to be accepted are higher the second time than the first time. However, don't do it just for the sake of doing it. Uh, YC, and that's the good news once you take the interview with, with them, whether you succeed or you fail, they do send you a very detailed email on why they've rejected you or accepted you. So in my very case, the first time when we got rejected, we did receive this email saying, hey, these are the main reasons why we didn't want to let you in. So with my co-founder, we worked on every single point. And whenever we were making progress, we were sending updates to the found, to the, to the partner, to the YC partner who did send us the email previously by saying, Hey, look, this box has been checked. And we kept doing this. Hey, this box has been checked and so on and so on. And before reapplying, we let him know that we were replying, reapplying. And that helped us get the interview for the second time. And the second time we were much more prepared. And the second time we knew exactly what these guys were expecting to hear from us. So we were able to be to the point, because again, it lasts only 10 minutes. You have to be very precise, accurate, and you have to know your numbers by heart. And it worked the second time, mainly because we did learn from our first mistake and we did iterate, as we say. So we improved the way we were pitching and they saw this progress in between uh, that happened in six months. And I believe that's what made them decide to admit us the second time we did apply. Uh, fantastic. And, and thanks for sharing that story. And uh, you know, I think that at the core of it, it, it's showing that resilience of being able, like you say, to not take no for an answer and, and continue showing. But also, I think another key point uh, uh, in that story is it's a relationship. It's not just going to them one time at the at the application or the second application. You're building a relationship, which is building that trust uh, throughout. So by updating them, by keeping them continuously updated, even with someone who said no, for example, um, you know, still giving them um, a view of the company and the progress you're making is so important. 
Um, and I know, I know uh, we could talk for ages and, and we are coming close to the end, but I, I did want to ask maybe uh, another question, uh, and this is maybe for myself more, uh, but I know um, uh, your, your, your wife is also um, co-founder, I believe, and COO of, of, the, of uh, Chari. Um, and uh, myself as well, having previously worked with my wife on a startup, I know that uh, some of the comments were from investors and other people looking at the company like, oh, we don't, inv we don't invest in married couples. You know, this is a, is a disaster kind of thing. Did you ever get that? And how did you, how did you, you know, uh, counter their argument? Um, so first of all, any investor is looking not to see a picture, but a video, right? They don't care about what you're gonna show them today. What they care about is, you know, what you're gonna, what you did show them before and how it has evolved and how they think that it's gonna evolve. This is why, as you said, you have to remain in touch with the investors and keep them updated on things before they end up trusting you. And uh, that's to summarize what we said earlier, make sure to, pre to present a video and not a picture. No, when it comes to, to working with your wife, uh, yeah, of course, we had a lot of investors who, who told us that it was a risk. Um, and, and, you know, with, with Sofia, we have this golden rule that we make sure to, to, to follow, which is we never speak about home at work and we never speak about work at home. This yep, is how I we make it possible. Yeah. But this rule is not uh, enough, uh, to, to have the investors trust us. But when you double click, you realize that the main reason why a startup is failing is because the co-founders end up getting into a fight, right? Um, so you may say that a couple, a couple of married has two, <laughs> twice <laughs> as much <laughs> chances to get into a fight, but that's not true because when you uh, are an entrepreneur and your wife is an entrepreneur before, you know, teaming up to build a startup, you've already teamed up to build a, a life and sometimes children. So you really know each other. And it's only after making sure that you get along that you move towards becoming entrepreneur with, with her or with him. In my very case, again, before starting Shari, I had two other startups with, with my wife. The first one is called Malik. He's a boy and he's five years old. And the second one is Leila. <laughs> she's a lady and she's, uh, she's, a she's a girl and she's four years old. And, you know, they are Irish twins, only one year difference. And it's when we realized that we could handle as a couple of married, two babies at home, that we felt that handling a startup wouldn't be more difficult than handling uh, two babies, right? And it's been an, an amazing journey. Uh, either our, our babies are, are uh, the real babies are growing fast, but also our digital baby, Sherry, is also gr growing fast. Uh, and listen, we've even discussed with a few founders, with a few investors who, who were before, um, entrepreneurs, uh, who told us, Hey, we've came across these great married couples that are entrepreneurs. And the best example is the, are the founders of, uh, Eventbrite. I'm mm -hmm. sure everybody yeah. knows Eventbrite. It has been founded by an, by an amazing couple who did very well. And after that, they did create a VC together, right? So there are a lot of examples of successful startups that have been created by wife and husbands. And I'll tell you, Sophia and myself are very complimentary and I'm fully convinced that myself, by myself, wouldn't have been able to do 
one yep. tenth of what Sherry is today if Sophia wasn't next to me. Fantastic. And, and what an amazing and positive story. Um, and I know we're coming to the end. So, so maybe my last question for you before we have to say goodbye is um, if you had one piece of advice for an entrepreneur at this stage, um, you know, uh, whether it be seed or series A, who's looking for, for uh, outside capital, who is starting to do uh, his raise or her raise, um, what would it be? What would be that one piece of advice that, that you would give them or yourself uh, when you were starting I back in the day? Of course, of course, I'll say one thing. Just make sure to 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 fight against loneliness. Loneliness is probably the most difficult thing to overcome when you are an entrepreneur. Mainly because you keep comparing yourself to other people who are still in a job, growing fast, making money, and yourself is struggling with your daily uh, value creation. And the best way to fight loneliness is one by getting surrounded by the best people, whether uh, your your co-founders that you have to choose carefully, or even your first employees, or even your first investors, or even your family. Make sure to spend more time with people that would bring you positive energy and avoid as much as possible those negative people that will bring you down. That's number one. And number two, Again, loneliness comes from the fact that you will be facing a lot of challenges. You will be failing many times. Uh, but make sure to learn to create a carapace, which is something that will help you go down, but learn from it and keep improving. This is life in general, right? It's a matter of being agile, learn from your mistakes, keep iterating and keep improving and this is what will help you fight against this loneliness which is to me the most difficult thing that can happen to a to a to an entrepreneur thank you so much again ismail uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and privilege to have you on the show and with that we we say goodbye uh, thank you for listening to entrepreneurs talk africa your source of inspiration and action from African leaders and founders. Uh, please don't forget to give us five star. And uh, in the words of Ismail, uh, fight loneliness and keep improving. Good luck, guys, on your next raise and join us for next week's episode. Thanks again.